Well, tonight we're coming to the end of a series of five studies about how to recognize God's voice. And we've looked at five different elements of how God speaks to us and how we can recognize that it, in fact, is God when He speaks. If you've not already done so, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 10. We'll be reading there in just a moment. John 10, and, um, and we'll begin there shortly. You know, one of the things that sets us apart from every other religious group on the planet is that we serve a living God. A God who is alive, a God who is active and who comes into our lives and into the nations and into the world, and He is active. And He has a plan and He has a will, and He is working that out through our lives and through His church. And it is absolutely essential that we understand that God speaks today to his people, that in the unfolding of his plan, he wants you to be involved. He has a place for you to fill. He has things for you to do, places for you to go, people for you to talk to, lives that he wants you to impact, and he wants to do that as he speaks to you and as he guides you. And so as we've studied this, this is not just an academic exercise, this is really part of the fabric of what it means to follow Christ. And so as we begin in these opening verses, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, we're going to reread the sections that we've been studying, and we're going to come to our conclusion tonight. Verse 1, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of of strangers. And then in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In this passage of Scripture, we have looked at four elements already that help us mark or identify the voice of God. The first one, and this has not been an exhaustive study of this topic, there, there are so many ways that God speaks. But he does tend to speak in certain ways that we can drop everything else into. And we've talked about those four. Uh, Perhaps it has not been better summarized than by Henry Blackaby in the four groups or four different ways in which God speaks. He speaks obviously through his word. And the Bible, without hesitation, is everything God wants you to know on this side of heaven about him. And there is no new revelation to that truth. You're not going to ever discover something new about God that is not already revealed to us in his word. And this word and all the words in it were inspired by the very spirit of God. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe most of you believe that as well. And so when we talk about hearing God, 
that in no way invalidates the Word of God. It's the primary way that God speaks to you and to me. He also speaks through the church or through Christian friends. He uses wise counsel. He uses people that he puts in our path to speak to us, to encourage us, to help us sort things out. And so he will speak through other people around you. He also will speak through circumstances. Obviously, if you're praying for God's provision uh, for something so that you can travel or go someplace for him, uh, if you're praying about whether to take a particular job and it's not offered to you, well, circumstantially, you know, that's not the job because it hasn't been offered to you, and you can be at peace with that. Uh, Other times, you may be offered two or three jobs at once, um, and you may have different directions, multiple options, and you've got to sort through that. But he does work through circumstances. A lot of times we'll use phrases like open doors and closed doors and open windows and closed windows to describe opportunities as they present themselves. So God speaks through the Bible. He speaks through the church and through other Christians around us. He speaks through circumstances. But for the last several weeks, we have focused on this way that God speaks directly to our heart, to our mind, in prayer, in a conversational way where God reveals his heart to you. We've seen that there are five marks when God speaks in that way. The first one is initiative. We see that in the analogy that Jesus is using, he's describing the relationship between you and me and the Lord Jesus as being very much like the relationship of sheep to a shepherd. And the shepherd in the Middle East, in Jesus' day especially, had a lifelong relationship with those sheep. He raised them from birth. They knew him their entire life. He did not drive them anywhere. He led them. Because of the bond formed from infancy as a little sheep, uh, they would follow him everywhere, and they would stay with him. So if he moved from place to place, they would simply follow him. At nighttime, it was not uncommon for shepherds to protect the sheep by creating some kind of rough enclosure of sticks or logs or, or briars, and they would create a little wall and put the sheep in there, and, and if he was by himself, he would just sh- sleep in the opening so the sheep couldn't get out, and they would have some level of protection from predators. On other occasions, if they had a large enclosure, even a pen, uh, multiple shepherds could combine their sheep at night into one place, and in that way, protect them maximize the protection. Uh, In the morning, the shepherd would come, and he would stand at the door, and that's what we see here, and it says, and he calls his own sheep. The shepherd takes the initiative to speak to the sheep. The sheep can only wait for the shepherd to come. The sheep are in a waiting posture, and pretty much you and I are in the same place. We're waiting on the shepherd to give us direction and to give us guidance. He speaks through initiative. In that same study, we talked about the importance of uh, the still small voice, that when God speaks to you and me, it is in a coherent way. It's not necessarily in another language. It's not uh, something odd or strange, but he brings thoughts to our mind that we can recognize over time as we grow in Christ, we can recognize that these thoughts that he's bringing to mind are not from us, but are from God himself. And as you and I grow in our relationship with him, then we recognize that God, in fact, is speaking to us through that still, small voice or that stream of thought. 
as, as an example of that, we used a negative example. You're walking down the street. You're not being particularly spiritual or unspiritual. But all of a sudden, you start having a flood of wrong thoughts, maybe about someone else. Or maybe you have a flood of wrong thoughts, of temptation. And you just have a flood. Now, you and I as believers, we wouldn't have any trouble saying that that was not for me. That was from the devil. That he, in fact, is flooding my mind with things that I don't want anything to do with. Well, we don't have any trouble recognizing that, saying, well, that's just the enemy attacking my mind. But in the same way, God speaks to us. And he does bring thoughts to mind and takes the initiative in that. His thoughts, when he speaks, are not audible, but they are intelligible. The second mark we saw was clarity. That when God speaks, it says the sheep hear his voice. And then later he says, my sheep hear my voice, in verse 27. And so we talked about the fact that when God speaks, he speaks clearly. But there are hindrances to hearing his voice. Not being born again would be the greatest hindrance. Um, If I don't have the Holy Spirit living in me, I don't have a tuner or receiver, if you will, to hear the voice of God. And so I need to be born again. Not being obedient. When God speaks and you know he wants you to do something and you say, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's going to become a hindrance to any future communication between you and him. And then not being able to focus on what God is saying can be a hindrance. You're just too busy. Got too many other things going on in your world. Uh, Too many noises. uh, Too much media. Whatever it is. And it's crowding out the voice of God. The third mark was intimacy. It says he calls his own sheep by name. And the picture that Jesus is using there is when that shepherd stands in the opening of the sheep pen and he calls them by name, whatever it was, Donner, Blitzen, the sheep would come. They would come in response to him speaking their name. And there's a note of intimacy when God speaks to you and me. And we saw in Scripture how over and over again when God first spoke to people like Samuel and Moses and others, he used their first name. And so he speaks to us by name. The fourth area that we looked at was purpose. God's voice is marked by purpose. It says he leads them out. When he comes and calls you, he's taking you somewhere. Sometimes it's to reveal more of himself to you. We saw that. Other times he has something for you to do. Other times he's simply teaching you his ways. But he always has a purpose when he speaks to you and to me. And that brings us to the final mark of the will of God or the voice of God, and that is authority. Authority. God speaks to you and me with authority. Years ago, I took a church team on a mission trip to upstate New York to work with a home missionary who had started a church and several churches in that part of New York State, at the end of east end of Lake Ontario, And we got up there, and we were doing nighttime vacation Bible school. You all know what that is? It's for little kids. Do it at night. And we had adults, and we had a lot of kids. In fact, we probably had more kids than we could handle. And they were loud, and they were busy. They were all over the place. And we're getting ready to start. And uh, so we were there. We were the the team from the, the southern United States, and we were up there with the people from upstate New York. And, um, and one lady, who had not been a Christian very long, had a thick uh, northern accent, uh, was really watching our leaders trying to get the children to settle down. 
And again, she'd only been a Christian like maybe four or five months, but she was helping out. And so she stood up, she looked at all the kids, and she said, all right, butts to the floor. (laughs) Boom. That's exactly what they did. Now, I'm not recommending that (laughs) for our VBS, but she spoke with authority, and they knew that she meant business, and those children sat down on the floor, and they were quiet, man. They were quiet. Well, when God speaks, he speaks with authority. I don't think he tells us that, but there are some markers to the authority that God brings when he speaks to you and me. First, there is a comforting note. If you're taking notes and you're listening, God, this is the first thing to fill in. There's a comforting note. I want you to see this in verses 4 and 5. And when he brings out his own sheep, now this is the shepherd. He's come to the pen. He's called them by name, okay? It says in verse 4, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. So there's recognition. That when God speaks, this is God. And because of the way that he speaks, I can be sure and safe in doing what he's telling me to do. There's a comforting note to it. Verse 5, it goes on and says, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Literally, when the shepherd would come and stand at that opening, and they've got co-mingled flocks of sheep in that pen. And he calls his own sheep by name. His sheep would come prancing up to him. The other sheep would back away. They would back up against the wall. They would cower in fear because this was not the voice of their shepherd. It was not a comforting sound to them. But to the sheep who belonged to the shepherd, they recognized his voice, said, that's my guy. And they would follow him. And that's why in verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's a relationship there. And it comes through as authority, a comforting note. Secondly, there is a convicting note. There is a convicting note. There's no confusion. It says in verse 4, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And they know exactly what he's saying and exactly what he wants them to do. And so with his authority, there's a conviction that I've got to obey this. I've got to act. I've got to do what he's telling me to do. Now, I want to take just a moment under this heading and talk with you about the peace of God. Because that is one of the great resources that Jesus has given to you and to me that we need to take advantage of. Jesus said it this way. This is not on the screen. You may want to jot it in your notes. John 14, verse 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus said, what I'm giving you, and in context, he just told them he's going to send the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit's going to be their possession. He's going to be their comforter. And then in the same note, he says, peace I live with you. Same peace I've had. The same capacity I've had that's called peace, and we're going to dissect that in just a moment. He said, the same thing that I have called peace, I'm going to give that to you. And so every Christian here tonight, you have the peace of God. You have access to this peace. It is a gift that is yours. 
Now, what is this peace? Well, I want to say three things about it. There are many more that I could say. First, it's a positional peace. We see this in verses like Romans 5.1 that say, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not peace in terms of a feeling. This is peace in terms of your status, in terms of your relationship to God. This is the kind of peace that you didn't have before Christ. Without Jesus, you were not at peace with God. The Bible says that you were literally at war with God. You were wanting to do what you wanted to do with your life. You weren't listening to him. You didn't have, he didn't have any control over you in the sense of you yielding to him or being submissive to him. And so you were at war with him. And because of your sin and because of your rebellion, you were lost. But when you trust Christ, he forgives you for your sin. You're justified, he says. And he says, having been justified, because this has happened to you, because you've trusted Christ, you have right now peace with God. God is not at war with you anymore. Now, some of you need to hear that tonight. Because some of you always feel like God's mad at you. Now, you don't have to raise your hand and admit that, but some of you live life with a sense that God is mad at you. Or that if he's not mad at you at this moment, he's about to be. And when he says you have peace with God, he's saying something about your status. God is not at war with you. He's not against you. And you have this new relationship with God that means the cessation of all hostility. And you have it. It's your possession. It belongs to you through Christ. So there's a sense in which peace is a reference to your status. There's another kind of peace. The second kind of peace is experiential peace. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is, for example, a barrier against fear. In Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, Paul writes, be anxious for nothing. What does that mean? Don't be afraid. Uh, what can you be anxious about? He says, be anxious over what? Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, there it is, which surpasses all understanding. It's rational but goes beyond reason. It's supra-rational. He says it will guard your hearts, garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so it's a barrier. It's experiential. And it's a barrier against fear and against anxiety. He says, how do you get there? He says, pray. Pray about everything. Take everything to the Lord. Leave it with him. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You take it to the Lord. And that peace, which is experiential, will be like a wall that surrounds you. So there's a status, there's a positional peace, there's an experiential peace. There's also a ruling peace. And that's, that applies to what we're talking about tonight, a ruling peace. And, um, and this ruling peace is experiential. And uh, it's a gift from the Lord Jesus. He said, it's the peace that I've had that I'm leaving with you. And you're either in it or you're not in it. You're either standing in the place that is the peace of God or you're not standing in the place that is the peace of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, and let the peace of God, he's speaking to the whole church, but this applies to individuals as well. He says, and let the peace of God rule where? In your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So what's he talking about? Just people getting along? No, he's talking about something in the heart, isn't he? 
He's talking about something that needs to rule in your heart. And, and this kind of peace, the word for rule that's there, gives us a clue to how this peace functions. Because the word for rule there is the idea of arbitration, particularly in an athletic event. We call it being a referee or being an umpire. And, and he says, let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart. Let the peace of God be the referee of your soul. In the Amplified Bible, which I don't use very often, but I, I like it here. In the Amplified Bible uh, uh, translation of this verse, it says, And let the peace, the soul harmony which comes from Christ, rule or act as an umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body you were also called to live and be thankful or appreciative, giving praise to God always. Now can you recite that back to me? A soul harmony that comes from Christ's rule. That's what he's describing. So, just as every sport has disputes, has decisions that have to be settled by the officials, the peace of God is the umpire that settles all disputes as to what the will of God is for our lives. And you and I have to learn to listen and to heed the peace of God. Um, I don't know how many of you all watched football yesterday. I saw a couple occasions where a fellow caught a ball, and they had to decide, was his foot in or out when he caught the ball? And it happened so fast that sometimes the referee who's looking at it says, says he was out, and others say, no, he was in. That was a good catch. But somebody has to make that call. Somebody has to make that decision. I don't know if you men have ever had this experience in, a, in your relationship with a spouse, with your wife. But there are occasions where uh, I may get a little flustered with my wife. Now, I know none of you ever get flustered with your wives. It got really, really quiet. I may get a little flustered with my wife and... I may, uh, you know, I talked about love doesn't get provoked this morning. Well, sometimes Don gets provoked. And, and um, I'm not saying it's okay, but I may say something to her. And, the, and, and, and it's not nice. I may say something not nice. I know that's hard to imagine, hard to believe, but I may not say something that's nice to my wife. Please don't ask her to tell you. That's, that's one of those shame things we talked about this morning. But if I say something to my wife that I shouldn't say, if I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in me, and I've got any sense of my life in terms of the Spirit, being in the Spirit, any sense at all, the moment those words come out of my mouth, there's a, there's a sense immediately that the peace of God says, Foul! Your foot is out of bounds. Wrong. And so I don't know how the peace of God works for you, but it works for me like that. And I don't have a peace all of a sudden. And I got to deal with it. I remember several years ago, we were pulling into a parking garage off Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. We were going to eat at a little hamburger place in Beverly Hills. And we pulled into this parking garage 
and, um, and I thought, this is great. There were, right as I pulled in, there were two parking spaces, just right there where I wanted to be, right near the door where I wanted to go into the building. And I, and I pulled up into the first spot. Well, the parking attendant, his little booth, you know, right over here, he comes out, and uh, in broken English, he says, uh, sir, you can't park there. And, um, and I proceeded to explain to him that I could. And I, we wanted to get in there. We wanted to eat at that place, and, and, uh, and that was a perfect spot. They didn't have any dibs on it. They didn't have a little cone there. Nobody was protecting that spot. I got the spot. Too bad. Sir, you can't park there. And, um, and I wasn't nice to the guy with the broken English. And, uh, but I moved my car. I said, all right, and I moved my car. I went in the restaurant. And the peace of God was not there. And I felt that peace of God's absence. And so I walked out, went back to the guy at the booth. And um, I was 26 years old. I went back to the guy at the booth, and I remember it vividly. uh, Because when I went up and knocked on the window, he kind of backed away from the window. (laughs) I said, mister, I said, I was wrong. I was wrong. I said, I should have, you're the one in charge here, not me. I should have done exactly what you told me to do. I said, I was wrong, and I know I hurt your feelings. I said, will you forgive me? And, and, and he just nodded his head and <laughs> was telling me to go away. <laughs> Didn't want to deal with me anymore. You know, the, the peace is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, the peace of God is one of the great resources that you have for knowing whether you're in the will of God or not in the will of God. How many times have you and I acted contrary to the peace of God in our hearts when we made a decision and we didn't have any peace and then all the disaster came on us because we, we know we made the wrong decision, we did what we wanted to do, we violated our sense of the peace of God. And, and we said, you know, I didn't have a peace. I did not have a sense that I was doing what God wanted me to do. And, um, and so peace, the peace of God is experiential, but it's also supposed to rule us. And you and I need to be extremely sensitive to those moments when we are not settled and when there is an uproar in our soul and there is a sense that we are doing something That for whatever reason, we may not fully understand it, but that we are doing something that is not pleasing to our Father. Let the peace, the rule of God, the peace of God rule in your heart, he says. Well, finally, when God speaks with authority, there's a comforting note, there's a convicting note, and finally there's a compelling note. A compelling note. and um, And by that I mean that when he speaks... It does something to us. It animates us. It excites us. It, it, there's such a certainty that now I've got a hand on what God is saying that it is a thrill to hear from God. It is a joy to hear from God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, the apostle says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? How? For it is God who works in you, both to will 
and to do his good pleasure. Why should I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Because he is with me. He lives in me. A holy God. A living God. As I take steps and I make decisions and I go this direction or that direction, the more I become aware of who he is and his presence in my life, I should approach every decision with some fear and trembling. Not just casual, you know, I think I'll do this today. But fear and trembling. Why? Because God's at work in me and and he's doing two things. And, And this is what helps us in the decision process. He works in us both to will, and let's stop, stop there. What does it mean when he works in us to will? It means that he creates desire in us. That word will means desire. It's want to. So many times we think that what I don't want to do is what God's leading me to do. I mean, automatically, the thing I least want him to do, well, that's the will of God. And in fact, this verse says just the opposite, that when you're not obstinate of heart, when you are seeking his will, when you really want to do what pleases the Lord and you come to him and you don't have any other direction, any other guidance, one of the things I tell people is, well, in the absence of any other direction, what is your heart? What is it that you want to do? Because often God creates in us desires to do things. And I can't trust my desires just, you know, right away. But if I go through the process that we've talked about of recognizing God's voice, it may be that your heart, God is shaping your heart for the thing that he wants you to do next. So God works works in you both to will and then to do his good pleasure. And the word to do means the power or the enablement to do the thing that he's created in you a desire to do. He gives you the ability to do it. So you and I have no excuse. When God's leading you to do something, no matter how, how impossible it may seem, he works in you not only the desire to do that, yes, Lord, I want to do this, but also the ability to do it. Now, we've talked tonight about decision-making. We talked about the peace of God and how that works. But the primary reason that God wants you to recognize his voice is because he wants you to know him. So do you know him? Do you know him? Do you realize that this living God who inspired this incredible book that tells us everything that he wants us to know about him on this side of heaven, that he wants you to know him through his own voice, that as you're reading the word, there's going to be those occasions where you're reading along and all of a sudden you're going to read a phrase, you're going to read a word, you're going to read a verse, you're going to read a passage, and it's going to burn in your heart. And you're going to realize God is speaking to me. This is not just print on a page of an old book God is speaking to me and God wants you to know him God wants you to walk with him God wants you to be full of him and that's his heart that's why Jesus came is to remove every obstacle between you and him do you know him if you've never entered into a relationship with God you have to come on his terms The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned, and sin is the great barrier between you and God. But when you come to Christ, what you discover is that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. And when he died for you, he took that sin on himself, and God punished Jesus for your sins. 
as if he was responsible for those sins. When you put your trust in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, the Bible says that your sins are forgiven. They are washed away. But the amazing thing is not only are you forgiven, but the moment that you trust him, the Bible says he gives you his Holy Spirit to live inside you. They call it being born again. It is a new life. It's a new principle of life. But more than that, it's a new power to live and do the will of God. He doesn't just give you a new list of things to do and things not to do, but he gives you himself. And he says, I will live in you. I will live through you if you will trust me. You say, well, pastor, I don't think I'm good enough to join a church or to put my trust in in Jesus Christ. Let me go think about it for a week or two. Let me go home and try to be better. Let me clean up my act, and then I'll come to Christ. You're wasting your time. There's nothing you can do that Jesus has not already done for you. And if you trust him tonight, he'll receive you just as you are, and he'll save you, and he'll change you. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and I'm going to ask you, if you need to trust Christ tonight, to get up out of the pew and come, take one of these pastors by the hand that'll be standing here and say, I want to be saved. I want my life to change. I want to know Christ like that. And then brother or sister, do you you know him? You've trusted him. You can point back to a time where I was saved and I was baptized. But are you growing in your relationship to Christ? Do you know him? Do you walk with him every day? Jesus said, I'm giving you my peace, the capacity to know my heart and to live with me every day. Are you doing that? Are you finding him? Are you knowing him? Are you experiencing him? Are you enjoying him? Pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord, for teaching us and showing us through your word how to recognize your voice. And Father, in these moments, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come And speak to the ones that are listening. And draw the ones that need to be saved. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.